Well, good morning. Um, when Pete asked me to speak, he said, I want you to speak about generosity. And I sort of hesitated, you know, because um, congregations don't really like sermons about money really very much. I thought, this is a good excuse. He's getting me to speak about it instead of speaking about it himself. But um, when it comes to generosity, none of us like mean people, do we? You know, I, I, I have a an old friend, and we say, if he, if he was a ghost, he wouldn't give you a fright, you know, that's how, <laughs> how miserable he is, you know. And, and the stagecoach story is a, like a rags-to-riches story, isn't it? Somebody says, well, what's he still wearing rags for, I know, but anyway, you know, the story's told that when I was a small child, I was a bit slow at learning, and so the teacher said to me, Brian, if you had a pound in your left pocket and two pound in your right pocket, what would you have? To which I said, Somebody else's trousers, miss. So. <laughs> Another time I was introduced to speaking someplace and somebody said, oh, we wanted you to speak because you're the creme de la creme. And my self-worth went away up and I felt really good about this, you know. Until I got home and looked up the dictionary and it said creme de la creme dash rich and thick, you know. <laughs> anyway... Jesus talked about money quite a bit, and um, at one point, they tried to catch him out, and they, they, they were asking, you know, what should we do, should we, what, what should our obligations be, and he, he said, have you got a coin, and took the coin out, and the coin, he said, whose head's on the coin, and they said, it's Caesar's head, and so he said, well, that's what you need to do, he said, you know, you need to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And you need to give to God what is God's. My, my father um, was a bus driver, but he was a sort of a businessman on the side. You know, he used to buy and sell cars, and he owned property, and he was doing a lot, quite a lot of different businesses, really, fun different businesses. And so he always um, he started to make quite a bit of money, but he never trusted the banks, and so he kept his money in the house, and uh, he would never really want to declare his money. So, you know, he had a simple understanding of this verse, you know, render to Caesar that which is Caesar. Caesar was getting nothing off my old man. <laughs> That's just how he felt about it, right? He was, he was happy to give his money in the offering on a Sunday, but Caesar was getting hee-haw by my father's money, right? So before he went on holiday, he would, he, would, he would say, you have to come round to the house. And he would take you round and he would say, you see that vase there? Well, there's 4,000 pound in that vase. And then he would take you another bit and he would say, you see that pot? Well, there's, there's 5,000 pound in that pot. And he would say, are you paying attention now? Because if the plane goes down, you're the only one that kens where all the money is. You know? <laughs> so he had that responsibility. And he used to have his money in different places in the house. And he found a great place to hide his money, under the bath. And my mother kicked the outlet pipe on the bath, and she flooded his hoard of money. My sister came in the house this day, and there's a blazing fire and there's a clothes horse, and all the money's pegged on the clothes horse, and he's drying his money out, you know? So my sister says to him, I see your laundering money. There's all the money lined up at the thing. But you know, when we started Stagecoach, my father put £25,000 into the business. That, at 1980 prices, was a really a lot of money, right? And that was really what got us started in the business. So everything was going along fine, in the business, and the business began to really prosper after some real problems. And then the tax man came along, and he said, um, well, this is very interesting. He said, uh, where did the bus driver's money come from, you see? So I said to my sister, I think we've got a wee problem here. Um, I said, the tax man, I said, well, you know, I said, my, my mother and father, they're pillars in the kirk, you know, they don't smoke, they don't drink, and he said, ah, I know, he said, but this is a lot of money, you know, I said, well, they got some redundancy money for the bus company, that was £3,000, 
So I said to Anne, I said to Anne, I think we're going to have to come clean with the tax man. So just in case there's anybody from the Inland Revenue here, I'm going to finish this story and let you know what happened with the money. So actually, I confessed to the tax man that my father had never paid any tax in his life on all of these business interests, and we actually paid his taxes for him. So we rendered to Caesar on his part because there was no way he was ever writing a check to the Inland Revenue. But, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to money, you know, it, it, it's quite a divisive issue, isn't it, as well, you know? And, but it's an important part of life, and we need to talk about it, you know? And it's become quite a political issue, and it's understandable, you know? There was an Oxfam report just last year, and it said that, that the wealthier are getting wealthier, and they're building up more and more money, and the poorer are getting poorer, and that's, that's not sustainable as a situation. And so it becomes a political issue as well, and some politicians are saying, you know, well, we think we need to redistribute wealth and we need to look at the taxation system. And, and that's really understandable because it's not sustainable that we just go on with a society where a few people become more and more wealthy. But Howard Hughes, who was a very famous, uh, one of the first billionaires or whatever, he had a saying about money. He used to say, money is like manure. If you don't spread it around, it stinks. Now, some people say... Well, this is really interesting, Brian, talking about money this morning but, and generosity, but, you know, money is just not important to me. And a wee bit self-righteous. Have you ever had people that say, oh, you know, money is not important to me. You know, I, it just doesn't matter to me, and you know, I'm not interested in it, you know. And, and that's interesting because I, that may be true for them, and if it is, that's great, right? But, you know, I've noticed something over the years that, that money is not important to people until it matters, <laughs> and then it kind of matters to them, actually, right? And I, I, this is a true story. Many years ago, uh, uh, somebody I know went, was in a pools at, at the work, and they put a pound a week into the pools. It was actually, they worked in the hospital, and, it, and then there was eight people in it, and so eight pound a week was paid, and, and the, that was the days when Littlewood's pools was a big win thing, right? And so everybody put this pound in every week, and then one week, the number came up, this, this, however it works, I'm not sure it works, but the scoring came up, and they were winners, right? And they were going crazy, right? We've won the pools. We were going to be millionaires. This is fantastic, you know? And then somebody said, but just a minute. Um, one person didn't put their money in. And then somebody else said, I, I know they didn't put their money in. But they never put their money in in time. And, and Mrs. Mack puts her money in for her. Oh, well. Should Mrs. Mack not get two eighths of this? Oh, how are we going to, how does this work, you know? Well, she always put the pound in for the other person, so surely we still divide it by eight. And you know these friends? They had a real blazing argument and saying, well, no, no, the whole thing should be divided by seven and not divided by eight, you know. And, and, and well, or, or, or how, how are we going to deal with this? And, you know, friendships were really damaged in that conversation. And then somebody got through eventually to Littlewoods in Liverpool and got somebody on the phone and found out that they had won eight pounds. <laughs> But you know the sad thing about that story? The cost of that friendship became a pound. Money doesn't matter to me until there's something we've got to deal with and there's an issue we've got to deal with. Well, I'm not here this morning to talk really about money per se. I'm really here to talk about what God's got to say about generosity and how that relates to us. It's not just about money, it's about our time, it's about our talents, about all of these different things. But let's just look at what, what does the Bible say about generosity and giving? Because that's really why we come here on a Sunday morning, not to hear stories about money, but actually we want to know what does God have to say to us about this important issue. And so we're going to start by having a look at that. And the first type of giving we're going to look at is what I call spasmodic giving. 
That's where we, we respond on impulse to something that is happening. It may be a, it may be a current issue that we're responding to. It may, it may come from peer pressure, from people around about us. That often happens, you know. There's peer pressure to, 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 to be part of, a, of, of some need that's come up. And sometimes, you know, that giving thing, you know, isn't done with much thought. And some of us, we've got this trite thing about we get something really, really naff, and it's the thought that counts. I could never get my head around this, because to me, it seems like you put no thought at all into it, right? Or it was a really obtuse thought, you know, like we used to sometimes give a drum to a wane if we didn't really like the parents that much, you know what I mean? So they would get the drum and beat it crazy, you know, drive them mental with the noise, you know. Um, so thought did go into the gift, you know? And we said, oh, that was a thoughtless thing. Imagine getting away in a drum. Actually, a lot of thought went into this, you know? So, I mean, it, it, it is this thing, isn't it, though, about, you know, how are we going to respond to a situation? Sometimes we just don't put much thought into it at all. An old Presbyterian minister was visiting a parishioner, and uh, he, he was really getting a wee bit peckish and when he got there, she didn't offer him any hospitality, but there was some blanched peanuts on the table. So he just started to kind of eat a few of them, and he started really munching his way through them, you know. And, and then she said, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't offered you a cup of tea. He said, so he said I've, eaten, I've eaten nearly all your nuts. She said, oh, it's okay, she said. Since I lost my teeth, I can only suck the chocolate off them. <laughs> Sometimes our offering... It's just the leftovers of what we don't want or don't like, isn't it, you know? I'm sorry to say this, but sometimes that's how we give to God. It's just what's left after we've sucked the chocolate off it. It's whatever we've got left is what we put in our offering to God. And that's not the way to give to God. There's a story in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. We'll just read it quickly together. And this is Way, way back early on, and this is what it says. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Cain was angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? We're only four chapters into the first book in the Bible, and there's an issue about giving, and there's a murder as a result of it. Who said this isn't an important issue or a problem for us to deal with, eh? But here's these two brothers, and here we get a picture of they spasmodically wanted to give to God because I don't know whose idea it was, but they said, you know, we've had the harvest, and, and now we should, we should give something back to God. Now, what Abel did was he looked after the sheep, and he picked the first of his sheep and the best of his sheep. And that's what he gave to God in the offering. Now, this is what Abel must have done. I used to work in a fruit shop when I was young. And we used to go along the counter, and our job was to pick out all the soft tomatoes and the bruised bananas and pick them out and put them in a separate bin. And that bin was cheaper because the fruit was secondary. It was bruised in some way. It didn't look as good. I think Abel did that with his fruits. I think he went through it, and I picked, think he picked you all the overripe bananas and all the soft tomatoes, and he said, 
That's what I'm giving to you, God. Because it says here in the passage that, that there was sin in his heart and he it, it, it didn't have a right attitude about it. And even before he committed the murder, God said to him, you've got to control this. Sin is crouching at your door. You have to do what is right and you have to rule over it. You have to, you have to be disciplined about what you're doing and how you're doing this giving. And actually, what God is saying is, don't give the gift thoughtlessly to me because I'm not going to appreciate it if you're just giving me the leftovers and the poorest of what you have. And God was disappointed with him and it led to jealousy and it led to a murder. Now, spasmodic giving is, is okay. It's a part of life. But the Bible teaches us that we really need to do systematic giving. And systematic giving means that we have a covenant with God, a deal with God, that we regularly follow all the time. Now, some of us, you know, like to do our own kind of deal with God, you know. We like to kind of do it in our terms. But God sets out very clearly, really, what he, will, what he would like us to do with systematic giving. It makes some sense. Let's suppose that we just give spasmodically, right? Well, if we give spasmodically for the health service, the hospital will be empty half the time. If we give spasmodically to fund our schools, there'll be no teachers to teach the wains half the time because folk wouldn't give the money systematically. And with God's work, God needs to have the, the money coming in to his work to give consistency. And that's just a natural thing. Otherwise, we would say, the church is new next week because we've not got enough money for the pay, pay, pay the electricity, right? So there's a certain kind of common sense to it as well. But this is what the Bible says about systematic giving. It's got to be done as a priority. It's got to be done, um, and it's got not to be done as an afterthought. And here's a verse in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10 that I'd like just to read quickly to you just now. And this is what it says about systematic giving. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So God starts this verses, I think, sounding a wee bit angry. Eh? Do you know what I mean? He's not like, well, you know... Um, He's not really too bothered about what you do, what you're given. It's like, you guys are robbing me. You haven't given me what I'm due. He's, he's pretty angry. And then he rounds it off. God rounds it off by saying, you know, this is the deal I have with you. It's a really simple deal. I give you everything. I give you enormous generosity. I provide for your needs. And this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you voluntarily to give me 10% back as a kind of a minimum, as a tithe back to me. That's what I'd like you to do, right? And then he goes on to say, after being a bit angry, he says, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open the floodgates. I'm not going to just, just be a wee bit generous back with you. I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven and I'm going to pour so much blessing on you, you're not going to have enough room to receive it. Now, that doesn't mean that you're just going to get monetary blessings back. It's not what it means. But what it means is you're going to get blessed. And let me tell you, non-monetary blessing is better than monetary blessing a lot of the time. To have God's blessing on your life, to have that amazing feeling of contentment and that God's hand is upon you and that, and that God is watching over you, that blessing is much better than getting a material blessing, but he's saying that you're going to get the whole lot. 
if you're part of this covenant. And I, I know we're reluctant to kind of push this sometimes in the church, but I have to tell you, I had a really good role model to teach me about this subject. My mother was a very good Christian woman. I think she should really have been a nun because she was never away from the church, right? And she used to trail me all these different meetings. She, she played the piano, so I had to go to the women's meeting on a Monday night. That took me a while to work through that. And then she'd make me stand in a seat and sing, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, you know. And I'm still a Christian after all this stuff happened to me, all this child abuse stuff going on, you know what I mean? And then, then she had to go to the prayer meeting. She couldn't get anybody to look after me. I had to go to that as well. And she went to a holiness meeting. And then she went, then she took the children's club. That was okay because there's other wains there. And at least that was a night you could enjoy. And then, then she played the piano at the Saturday night meeting. And then she played the organ on a Sunday. And you were there twice on a Sunday, plus the Sunday school. So it was with a fair amount of exposure to that kind of stuff. And you might think, you should have grown up with an enormous chip on your shoulder about it. But actually, I didn't. I don't know. I seem to quite enjoy it. But anyway, it must have been all the attention I got or something from all these old wifeys or whatever. But anyway, the, the point I'm going to make is she was an interesting role model. It wasn't a perfect role model. It wasn't a perfect home, but it was a good place to be. And I realized as a teenager, our home is different from the other. We lived in a council house, and I just realized that our house was different for the homes around about us. And there was, re- was a, a reason why our house was different. It was because Jesus was in our house, right? And that's a fact. So when my mother used to get my father's wages on a Friday, she had to, a whole lot of tins. This is before there was internet banking. And so she got all these tins out. That was her form of internet banking. Anyway, she, she got all the tins out. And the first thing she did, when she took the money out of the wage packet, she took 10% of it, and she put it in a green tin that used to have, you know, salts or something in it. I can't remember. It was a green tin. Anyway, it was a funny-looking tin. And that was the first tin that got the money in it. The next tin was for the rent, so we didn't get thrown out of the house. She put the next money in the rent tin. And then she had all the other tins for electricity and all the rest of it. Actually quite an organized person, a good manager of money, right? But let me tell you, she testified to her dying day that God was no man's debtor and that that tithing principle had been one of the best things she'd ever done in her life. And that was a great role model to follow And so, the attitude is all important. You see, God loves a cheerful giver, right? He doesn't actually need your money, right? But he needs your obedience. And he needs your affection. And tithing is a way of showing your obedience and showing your affection for Jesus and saying, I'm putting you first, Jesus. I'm going to sort the rest of this after I've sorted that first. It's a great principle. And if you're not doing it, then, then you should start because you'll find your life will be blessed and you'll never regret it. And you know this? You'll never miss the tithe. Ask anybody that tithes and they'll tell you. You just never, ever miss it. Now, I believe... It's good to see people in the worship service raising their hands to heaven, right? I love to see that in the service. But let me tell you what I also love to see in the service. If the Lord's really touched you and blessed you, you'll not only want to raise your hands heavenward, you'll also want to put them earthward and put your hand in your pocket and put money in the offering. I'm just telling you, that's true. If the Lord's really touched your heart, you'll want to do both. You'll not just want to do one or the other. So, we've thought about spasmodic giving, and we've thought about systematic giving, but now we're going to think about sacrificial giving. And I've got a wee video clip that I'd like you to watch with a pastor that I think sums up better than me how we should think about giving. We really think that there are two phrases that summarize all the Bible says about uh, stewardship and generosity. And that, those are the phrases, always a portion, 
sometimes a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, as believers, as followers of Jesus, throughout the history of man's relationship with God, all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, God's people have always given a portion of what God's given to them. Um, some people, you know, bring up the word tithing. And when you bring that word up, some people get, you know, angry. That's Old Testament. But if right. you think about it, they say it's the law. But the principle of giving a portion started before the law. Abraham and his descendants gave a portion. They called it a tenth of everything yep. that they had to the Lord. Out of what God had given to them, they gave a portion. Then Moses included that principle in the law. And then as you translate into the New Testament, the New Testament has all kinds of examples of giving. But here's what's interesting. None of them are less than what was prescribed with that Old Testament tent principle. They all go far beyond that in the New Testament. So Christians have always given a portion, a first, out of what God gives to me, out of the increase. I'm the first always give to the Lord a portion. And this is kind of a, a regularly recurring All the time. Thing. It just, it's a rhythm. It's part of what we, we just, that's what we do. Absolutely. What yeah. Proverbs says is out of our increase. Yeah. Honor the Lord out of your increase, out of your produce, which means when I, when my amount goes up, whether that's a paycheck, whether that's a gift, whether that's an investment, whatever it is, when I gain, I'm to out of that always regularly, systematically give a portion of that to the Lord. But then there's the second principle of sometimes a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. As you study the scriptures, there were times that God called his people to deep levels of sacrificial giving. And here's how out of balance we are in the church today. We think always a portion is a sacrifice. Yeah. Because we really think it's mine. Mm -hmm. It belongs to me. So I'm giving some of it. So that's a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But Always a portion is really just not stealing. Yeah. It's yeah. not taking that which belongs to the Lord that he's required of me uh, in obedience to him out of the overflow of my love relationship. I'm to be generous. I'm to give to him always a portion. It's when I get beyond the always a portion that I'm living in that area of sacrificial giving. And that's not an always. God didn't call us to some monastic way of life where we always have to make a sacrifice. But there are times and seasons when God calls us. Yeah to give sacrificially. So give to the Lord, save for the future, budget to live. And under that giving idea, always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice. I thought it was a good summary, really, of where we're at in this we chat about giving. And that really leaves the question as well, well, how are we to do this? How are we to achieve this? Well, there's a, there's a great story um, in the Bible about a man called Zacchaeus, and um, it's one of my favorite characters. And I just think there's, a, there's a, a real interesting aspect in him about giving. And I want to just quickly read the story. Um, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore, tree to see him. Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was a greedy wee man. He stole off other people, and then he must have actually invested that money. I'll come back to that in a wee minute about how he managed to be so generous with all the people that he had robbed. But he clearly was either money laundering or had, you know, lent money to businesses or whatever in the community. Maybe that's why everyone hated him so much, because he kind of owned half of the village, I guess, right? But something happened to change Zacchaeus. And that thing that happened was that Jesus Christ had an encounter with him. And from being a greedy, horrible wee man that everybody hated, Zacchaeus was completely transformed. And here is what Jesus did for Zacchaeus. 
the first thing he did for him was he cleansed him from his sin. And that's interesting because he doesn't actually say that in the passage, but clearly Jesus has freedom from his past in the way that he's talking. And that's because Jesus Christ is the only person that can forgive your sins. I don't know why the world doesn't grasp this, but forgiveness can only be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only person that can make me clean. Now, for me to get clean, something else has to become dirty. When I go in the bath, when I come out of the bath, the water is dirty. There's a big tide matter in the bath, you know. And then you've got to come out, and then you've got to clean the dirt that you left in the bath and all the rest of it. Or, or, or better goes daft, you know. You had a bath, and you see the mess you left it, and you know all the rest of it. But that's the truth of it, right? For me to get clean, right? When I set the fire and put all the coal on the fire, and my hands are all black, I have to get that cleaned off. And I've got to dry my hands on a towel, and the dirt may end up on that towel. But it's a substitution. My dirt has to end up someplace that started off clean. So the water becomes dirty, or the towel becomes dirty, so that I can become clean. And Jesus Christ took all our sin on the cross of Calvary, and all our dirt for the whole world, all of my sin was taken on the spotless Lamb of God, on the cross of Calvary. It's just amazing. Now, that is a supernatural event. That is not natural. It is supernatural. And as a result, you know, Zacchaeus felt a sense of release. You can sense Zacchaeus' happiness coming through this passage. Because let me tell you, when Jesus forgives your sin, you feel happy. And that's not true. I'm just telling you. You feel a sense, a burden's rolled away, and you feel a sense of release. And knowing that he's there, that if we fall, that he's there, that we can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. He is the only source of cleansing for each one of us. But the second thing I notice in this, not only did he cleanse them from sin, but he changed his behavior. Because instead of wanting to steal from people, he wanted to put things right, and he stopped cheating. And so this transformation, other people could see it. Now, you know, let me tell you, when you become a Christian, other people should be able to see that transformation. Your behavior should change when you become a Christian because Jesus comes within us and makes it possible for changed behaviors to happen. And so his behavior was changed, and he wanted to restore and put and, and, and do the right thing for the wrongs that he'd done before. So that's the second thing. He cleansed him from sin, he changed his behavior, and then he made him compassionate and generous. So not only is this guy gone from being this greedy, horrible wee man, he's actually had his sins forgiven, his lifestyle has been completely changed, and his heart is so different that instead of wanting to cheat people and be greedy, he's become compassionate and caring about other people and generous with other people. That's how powerful the presence of Christ is in a human being's life. That's how amazing the impact of Jesus can be. And as I looked at this, I thought, how did this wee man manage this? Because if you gave me a pound, okay, how can I give you, if I take a pound of you, even if I steal a pound off you, okay, how can I give you four pound back unless I've managed to increase the pound you gave me? How can I, if I started with nothing, which I presume Zacchaeus did, give half of what I've got to the poor unless 
the money I stole from you, I was able to use and multiply. And I work out that I think Zacchaeus was like a sort of merchant banker in his own right in the town. I mean, I can tell you, if you're wondering who to invest your pension money with, get Zacchaeus. <laughs> this was a very smart wee man with money, right? I got someone at Such Investments, a very bright young man that works for me, I got him to make some assumptions and work out what was Zacchaeus's rate of return on his capital. <laughs> Do you know the number he came up with? 65%. Because what he'd stolen, he did such amazing deals with, he multiplied it that he could give all this money back fourfold to people that he'd stolen. Imagine if he'd stolen and he came back and said, oh, I stole a thousand quid off you, but here's, here's 5,000. Are you all right with it? Okay, Zacchaeus, I kind of like this wee man now, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of got, you know, got turned on to him now. And to give half of his goods to the poor, it was a generous, a sacrificial offering that he wanted to make at this point in time. We, we learn how God does this in Ezekiel 36 and verse 12. And this is what he says in Ezekiel 36 verse 12. This is a wonderful verse. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's supernatural. The stony heart, the ghost that wouldn't give you a fright sort of guy. How's he going to change, right? Let me tell you, being generous doesn't come to us naturally, right? And actually, I missed a slide at the beginning of this, and we won't go back to it, but I want to refer to it because I had a slide at the beginning, and it showed you the countries that were the most generous. And it started off, on the, the top of the chart was the United States. This was per head. So it, was, it wasn't just in absolute terms. It was percentage of their GDP and their income and all the rest of it, right? And the top country on the chart was the United States, which is probably the country with the highest church going in the Western world, right? And down the bottom of the chart was the second wealthiest country in the world, China, they give next to nothing to anybody. They're totally avaricious and are more concerned about making more and more money all the time. And it begs this question, does it matter what you believe? Trust me, it matters what you believe a lot. And in the same report, it said down the bottom that people that went to church and people that went to church more regularly and people that were involved in religious organizations were two or three times more generous than other people. You see, this really works because Jesus can take the stony heart away from you. And you're maybe somebody that's just got a stony heart. It's a, it's kind of doesn't interest me much. You know, somebody else's problem. I'm not really bothered, you know. You know, even the money doesn't matter to me, you know. But actually, you can do better than that. Because Jesus Christ wants to transform your life and he can take that hard heart away and he can give you a generous heart of flesh to replace it. Now, you may be listening to this morning saying, well, this is interesting, but this is just for people that have got resources. I don't have anything to give. Well, let me tell you, you know, everybody knows about my current state of wealth because it's in the Sunday Times every year or whatever. So always the rich list comes out every year. You know, my wife always says to me, where's all this money? We are not seen much yet, you know. Anyway, you know, every year it comes out, you know. We hear read about all this money. Where is it, you know? Anyway, um, so everybody knows about the money that, that, I, that I've got or whatever. But let me tell you, I was a bus conductor at one time and I always applied that tithing principle. But at one point, we were getting thrown out of our church that I went to. And I felt the Lord really laid it on my heart. My wages were about £18 a week at the time. And the Lord laid it on my heart to give £3 a week for, a, for the next 
couple of years to the church for the building that, so that we would have a building to worship in. I just felt that's what the Lord was telling me to do. And so I started doing that in obedience to the Lord. I'll tell you this, I never got so many offers of overtime at the time office. It was unbelievable, right? I never, ever missed and found it hard to put that money away because they were always offering me overtime and they always seemed to offer me it when I could do it and it was fine for me, right? Sacrificial giving can bring an enormous pleasure to you. And let me tell you, Zacchaeus was the happiest wee man in that town forever after that because they learned something, and it's this. I'm going to be very honest with you. I over-identify with Zacchaeus because I like making money. I'm going to confess, I like making money, right? If we do a good deal and we made a ton of money, I go, oh, you're beauty, you know. I like making money, right? I don't love money for the sake of money, right? But I get a kick out of making money. But I've learned something. While I enjoy making money, and our team likes making money, it's through investments, we do deals and all the rest of it, right? And we enjoy that, right? I found a far greater joy, and it's this. If God gives you a gift, as he's given me that gift of stewardship, right? If I'm then enabled to take that money and then invest in something like, against something like people trafficking, I use the word in the right context, it is a hellish activity. I'm sure you agree with me about that, right? But God can empower us to stop that by channeling money. So an even greater, you get an even greater kick, an even better feeling, let me tell you, when you can take the resources and channel it into something that really follows God's heart and that you can do something to help with it. And that becomes an enormous privilege to be part of that and a tremendous feeling. I have to tell you, it's summed up, and I'm nearly through, it's summed up in Matthew 6, 21. As Jesus said this, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, this is not really about the money thing. It's about how you feel, and it's about what motivates you, and about what's happening in your soul and in your heart. At one point, Stagecoach nearly went bankrupt, and I began to really worry about it. This is about three years into the business, two and a half years into the business. And the Lord really convicted me about it because I was losing sleep and I was worrying. And I got a verse, a verse, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's a verse that said, you shouldn't be anxious for tomorrow. You should just take each day as it comes. And sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Take each day as it comes and put your trust in me. And you know, I realized something. I realized that I had a too big an emotional investment in Stagecoach, the company that we had created. And I realized that what I needed to do was I needed to surrender that emotional investment to Jesus Christ. I needed to say, Lord, I'm giving this over to you. And I'll, I'll accept your will in this. If, this. if this company goes bankrupt, then it's your will, and it'll be an experience, and you'll bring me through it. And if this company survives this, it's because it's your will and it belongs to you and I'm surrendering it to you at this point in time. Let me tell you, when you get to that point of surrender, God will fill you with such a sense of release and such a wonderful sense of his peace that you cannot explain it to someone. Now, I don't know what you have in your life, what's important to you. I don't know what your talents are, you know? But you have talents and you have gifts and you have things. And what I'm saying to you is, whether it's a situation, whether it's a, a, a life situation, surrender it to God. Just say, Jesus, I can't deal with this. I'm passing this across to you. You see, it's when we're selfish and we want to keep our answers covered and keep everything to ourselves. God finds it hard to bless us when that's our attitude to things. Spasmodic giving, systematic giving, sacrificial giving. Yeah, it's important. It's important that we can deal with them all. But what we need to do is we want to reflect Christ's heart in what we do.
What is God expecting from you this morning? What does he expect from you? Exodus 4, verse 2. This is my last scripture. Moses is in the wilderness. God has called him to deliver the children of Israel. But here's this man sat there. He's a refugee from justice because he killed somebody. He's a shepherd. He's got nothing at that point in time. He's got a stutter. He can't even speak properly. And God comes to him and says, I want you, you to go back to Egypt, and I'm going to use you to deliver the children of Israel. And he's totally flabbergasted. And God says to him, what is that in your hand? And he has a shepherd's crook in his hand. The Old old Version calls it a rod in his hand, right? And then God demonstrates to him what he can do with that, shows him some things he can do with that. And what God is saying, the question God is asking you this morning is, what is that in your hand? What do you have in your hand this morning, right? For Moses, it was just a shepherd's crook. And yet he used that to divide the waters of the Red Sea. He used that to bring water out of a stone. Because you see, when we surrender what we have to God, he can do miraculous things with what we surrender to him. What is that in your hand? A phone? You can use that phone to keep in contact with someone that you know needs to hear from you. What is that in your hand? A bacon bowl. Yeah, you can make food and take it to somebody. A set of car keys. You can use that car for God's work. A set of house keys. You can use that home for a house group. You can use that home to entertain and help people. What is that in your hand? An investment portfolio. God can help you with that too. What is that? A career, a bank account, a sweeping brush. You can use that for God's glory. A voice that can sing or speak for him. A hobby that you just, is a really bizarre thing, right? You know, I was really interested in buses. What a weird thing, you know? Like, you know, these guys that write down train numbers and that stuff, you know, they're real weird people, right? You know, for me, it was buses, right? But if you surrender that interest to God, he can use it and do amazing things with that hobby or interest. Your time, your talents in his hands. This is the miracle. God can take our hearts of stone and remold them by his spirit. He can fill us with the compassion of Christ and he can bless us enormously in the process. I'd like you to stand together and like us to pray. Just in these closing moments just now, I'd just like to ask you as our heads are bowed and just before we pray together, maybe there's somebody here this, this morning and say, Brian, well, you know, this really isn't something I've experienced at all as I look at my life. I've not had that cleansing from sin that Zacchaeus had. I, I'm still carrying a burden of sin with me. My behaviors need changing. And, you know, I, I just don't have that compassion in my heart, right? You know, I need to experience what Zacchaeus experienced. I've got good news for you this morning, you know. You're, I you stood before you as a greedy wee man that met Jesus, right? And I can tell you that, that he changed my life. And I can tell you that he can change your life too. And this morning, if, if you're saying... I want to give you this opportunity just as every head is, is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I really want to know Jesus, I want that encounter with Jesus that Zacchaeus had, I just want you to quietly slip your hand in the air at this time. Just do it now. Just put your hand straight up in the air. If you feel, Brian, I want to do that this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've listened to the sermon and you said, you know, I've looked at my life and 
I want to think about this this giving issue and you know I, I, I've not really been obedient to God I've, I'm kind of letting God down in my life I'm, I'm kind of half hearted about, about my Christianity this morning and, but I'm going to make that commitment this morning that surrender that you were talking about Brian that, that thing in my life whether it's, it's your money or, or whatever other else it is you know that you're struggling with this morning and you're saying I'm just I'm willing to hand this over to Jesus this morning if you're in that position this morning would you raise your hand at this point just put your hand in the air just hold it there for a minute so that some of the prayer folk can see them and thank you I see that hand there's another anybody else seen this morning Brian I, I that's me this morning I, I've got things thank you I see that other hand thank you anybody else this morning just I feel that God is speaking to, to a number of Christians this morning and he's saying you know I want you to get serious about this 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 your heart is not not right you need to have that compassionate heart you need to reflect the heart of God if you're that person this morning just just put your hand quietly in the air just now thank you I see that hand Heavenly Father we we thank you for the generosity of Jesus we thank you that that God didn't spare his only son sent him to a cross for us Jesus as we think about that sacrifice that you made we talk about sacrificial giving but oh the sacrifice of your sinless son we want to say thank you for that God thank you for sending Jesus thank you for sending him to the cross we pray this morning that in our encounter with Jesus we would have a Zacchaeus experience that we would surrender to you and through that surrender we'd experience the fullness of your spirit in our lives that we would feel your touch coming straight from the throne of God and that you would give us the heart of God for our city. Jesus, give us your compassionate eyes so that we may see our community, our country through these eyes of compassion. And we pray, Lord, that as we do this, we will experience your blessing upon our lives. We ask it in your name. Amen.